right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. So great to see all of your faces. So great to see some uh, new faces and some old faces uh, returning to visit. Um, so we are starting a new book of the Bible. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is part of our Exiles sermon series. And this Exile theme is our main theme for 2022. An Exile is somebody who, for various reasons, find themselves far away from home, living as strangers in a place that's, that's foreign to them. Uh, throughout history, uh, God's people have always lived as exiles on earth. And this is still true today. Uh, Christians are heavenly exiles on earth, and we're traveling back home to be with God. And as exiles, God uh, calls believers to live in a certain way, and he has a purpose for us. Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to live as a heavenly exile. So we're looking at different books in the Bible that have this focus. And since it's been uh, you know, almost half a year since we started this, uh, this series, uh, I'm going to do a brief recap for us. So we started this series all the way back in January, and the first Bible book we looked at was the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations is a book of mourning. It's a book about the Jewish exiles mourning for the home that they had lost. And we saw how this relates to us as, as God's people today. Uh, Christians are spiritual exiles, and we experience many things that cause us to to grieve and to mourn in this life. And Lamentations teaches us how to grieve in faith and allow God to lead us through dark times to a place of hope and restoration. Uh, The next book after Lamentations that we looked at briefly was, was actually the book of Jeremiah. And the theme that we looked at was prospering in obedience Uh, In in Jeremiah, we saw how the exile divided the Israelites into two groups. Uh, There were those who uh, were called to stay in Jerusalem, uh, a ruined Jerusalem, and to to live there. And there were those who were exiled to to Babylon. And both of these groups of people uh, were called to be faithful and obedient to God. And God promised to bless them if they were obedient to him wherever he placed them. And that's the same for us because as heavenly exiles, we're to obediently live for him wherever God calls us to, wherever a city in the world that God brings us to. Uh, and for us at EEC, this means Hong Kong. The, 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 the next book we're starting, as I said, is, is the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes offers us wisdom, offers God's people wisdom for life in spiritual exile. And because of sin, uh, humanity was cast away from God's life-giving presence in the Garden of Eden. And since then, everyone on earth has lived as a spiritual exile. Life away from God's presence is is fleeting and disorderly. It's full of injustice and uncertainties. So Ecclesiastes teaches believers how to keep our focus on God as we journey through life with all of its temptations and trials. So, so if you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to actually uh, have your Bibles in front of you. Have a Bible in front of you to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. Uh, this first uh, message is going to be an intro message. Uh, but, but, but before we actually get into it, um, let, let's pray. Let's pray as we listen to God's word. Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning. Um, 
and we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your truth. Our, our whole week has been filled with hearing different voices, different voices on the news, uh, different voices in our culture, and our workplace, uh, from our friends and family, different voices within ourselves. Uh, God, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your truth. Your, your word is life. Your, your truth brings life. And that's what we need in our hearts today, this morning. So would you help us to understand your, your word? Would you bring light into our hearts as we hear your word and read your word? I pray that you would speak to each and every single one of us here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so intro to Ecclesiastes. Uh, so this book was first written for Israelites who are trying to get the most profit out of life. And their lives were focused on how to attain wealth and social status. And it's in this type of setting that the author introduces the main theme of the book in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And th this phrase is repeated 38 times throughout this whole book. And it's repeated again and again and again. And I'm going to repeat it again and again and again to get across an important point about the nature of life in a sinful world that all of us here needs to understand more and more. And it's this, uh, life cannot be controlled, it cannot be grasped, it cannot be understood or enjoyed in the way that you hope it can be. Uh, the original Hebrew word for, for vanity is, is hevel. Okay, hevel, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be saying hevel a lot. Uh, hevel means something like, uh, like vapor or, or, or smoke. Uh, life is vapor. Li life is smoke. You know, smoke, it looks tangible. It looks like you know, something you can, you can hold on to, but, but, but it's not. Life looks like it offers so much value and significance, but when you try to reach out and grab it, it disappears and you're left empty-handed. Another way that hevel is translated into English is, is meaningless or, or, or futile. Uh, in Chinese, uh, the word is like empty. It's, it's uh, hong hei, hong, there we go. Uh, all pointing to, to the same idea. Life doesn't ultimately offer what people desire to get from it. So, so, so right at the entrance of my apartment building, uh, I live in Mong Kok, is... Um, is a light that casts a picture of a sign onto the floor below. So it's something similar to this hope sign on, on my right. It's a light sign, all right, except it's on the floor. Uh, now, the only difference is that the one outside my door is really colorful. It's really eye-catching. And every time I take Emery and my son outside or back inside, um, I always lose him. Because he's actually stuck looking at this light sign in front of him and he wants to, to touch it. So he'll go up and he'll try to touch it, and then it'll, it'll disappear because he, he's covering the light with his body. He doesn't know that. Then he goes back and he's like, huh, huh, huh? And he goes back again. And I'm like, okay, you know what? If I leave him like this, maybe one day he'll, he'll get it. <laughs> Looking at my watch, it's time for bed. He's not getting it. All right, we're going. <laughs> Every time. He has not learned his lesson yet. Life is hevel. Life is like an illusion of, of light. It looks nice, but when you try to touch it, you don't get what you were 
hoping for. But it's something that we don't understand as people. And so we spend all of our time, day after day, grasping after smoke, grasping after smoke, only for it to disappear. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, I purchased this uh, fancy handheld device, secondhand off of Carousel. It's a high-quality uh, miniature camera called a DJI. And I got this camera because I wanted to capture and document Emery's growth as a child. So I was actually able to capture his first steps. The first time he took like two steps, I had it on camera. I, I was so excited, and that motivated me. Now, now, now for the first couple of weeks of getting this camera, I was very obsessive. All right, I would bring it everywhere I went. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss any of the important moments. I took so many videos that my computer ran out of storage. So I had to buy more storage to keep all the videos I was taking. Now, in this drive to catch all of these moments on camera, I realized it's impossible to capture all of life's moments. You know, the more I tried, the more exhausted I felt. And no matter how many videos I take, it can't make up for the moment that I had just lived and now missed. Vanity of vanities, or hevel of, of hevel, this of wording is used to describe something to the highest degree. Life is hevel of, of hevel, meaning it's the most futile, it's the most meaningless pursuit for humanity. And so verse 2 begins with the, the main point of this whole book of Ecclesiastes. Life is hevel. Life is hevel. Now, verse 3, which is the next verse uh, that I'll show here, begins with a question to explore. Is this main point, is this, is this thesis really true? And, and it asks, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? All right. Is this is life really vanity? Let's ask a question and explore this question. And there are three key words here that I want us to understand. Under the sun, toil, and gain. So let, let me explain these three words in order. Uh, under the sun. Under the sun is, is a phrase that means life in the world without God. So under the sun, you know, everything uh, in, the, in the realm where, where human life takes place, no, it's this physical realm that the light, the sun can shine its light on. Um, under the sun is this realm, you know, separated from, from the highest heaven where God dwells. You know, to put it another way, under the sun means everything a human being can experience and do on earth without God. And verse 3 tells us that the kind of life that is vain, that, that is hevel, is life under the sun. Life in the world without God is empty. It's meaningless. Uh, another key word in verse 3 is, is toil. All right, toil. Toil means the painful struggle, effort, and labor a person gives to live. It includes all the energy you exert in your vocational work, in your 9 to 6 job or your 9 to 10 job, whatever that means for you, uh, whether that's exerting mental and emotional effort to design lesson plans to teach students, whether that's straining your eyes to crunch numbers or review contracts, or whether that's sweating in the heat to build a high-rise. Toil includes 
all of the energy you exert in the workplace, but it's much more than that. Toil includes all the labor and strength you give to simply live. All the chores that need to be done around the house, all the effort you put in to live a healthy lifestyle, to cook well, to exercise, to sleep well, uh, planning the family finances, uh, the hours sacrificed to study, to gain more qualifications and certificates, the sleepless nights given to take care of a newborn baby, the sweat and tears you give to care for aging parents and sick relatives. Life under the sun is toil. Life without God is full of struggle and burdensome labor. The last key word in verse 3 is is gain. Gain means lasting profit. It means an additional surplus or benefit that outweighs what you initially gave. Let me try to explain this in in terms of vocational work. So when it comes to vocational work, gain means that however many years you spend working, you come out having more than what you gave. You gain if if what you get at the end not only equals to what you sacrificed, but is more than what you sacrificed. You gain if all the money you earned and all the learning experiences you got and all the relationships you made outweigh all of those hours of overtime you gave, all of the emotional strain of a difficult work environment you had to endure. Gain means that if you work 10 times harder than your coworkers, you don't just end up making the same salary forever, but you get recognized, you get a promotion, and you end up making more money in the end along with the authority and respect that comes with your new position. The question in verse 3 is asking, what is gained not just by your time in a workplace, but from your whole lifetime of toil? What will you gain after slaving away in every single job you'll ever work in? What will you gain after all the labor you put in other roles and responsibilities? After being a good parent, a good child, a good teacher, a good board member. After a lifetime of toil and work, the natural human expectation is to gain something from it. Now what people hope to gain from their toil can be quite different depending on what you value. Uh, For some people, they hope to gain financial security along with the freedom that comes along with it. For others, their their hope for gain might be comfort. Uh, No, a worry-free retirement after putting in your time with the company. Still for others, the most important thing they want to gain isn't security, isn't comfort, It's long-term fulfillment, a sense of purpose from gaining meaning for everything that you've done. What, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? 
at the very end of your life, what do you gain for all the work that you've done on earth? That's the question. The answer God tells us is vanity, is hevel. You gain absolutely nothing. All you get is smoke that dissipates into emptiness as you try to grab it. That's the main point for today's passage. Without God, you ultimately gain nothing from a lifetime of toil. Without God, you ultimately gain nothing from a lifetime of toil. At the end of your life, if all accounts of your work and what you got from it were weighed, if you wrote down every single thing positive that you got, and you weighed it against everything negative that you sacrificed, it's nothing. It cancels out. Now, now the point here is, is what you gain at the end of your life. All right, so think of your life as, as a dash. Okay, this dash is your life. Between when you're born and when you die. And in between your, this dash, you may gain things from your toil. Uh, perhaps you worked extra hard on your entrance exams when you were young, which leads you to a good job later in life that allows you to enjoy a measure of financial freedom and comfort. Maybe, as a young parent, you sacrifice all your personal time to be the best parent to your child, and it pays off in the end. Uh, your child ends up being the most honoring and most filial adult child in existence. They personally come over to massage your old, aching back every single night. And you spend the last decades of your life bragging to your friends about how great your child is. And all your friends are jealous of how much your child loves and cares for you. But when you get here, when you get to the end of your life, when all accounts are settled, all that you gain was smoke that dissipated so quickly. It, it was gone before you could really enjoy it. Hong Kong is infamously known as a busy and fast-paced city. Uh, people are always on the move, hurrying from place to place to get things done. Uh, busyness is an identity marker and value for the people of this city. If you're not filling your time constantly, busy doing something, uh, you are not a good person. Uh, something is, is wrong with you. Uh, productivity, productivity. I don't know what that is in, in Cantonese, but productivity is a key word for Hong Kong. A good person is a productive person. A productive person is the person who gains the most out of life. And this value on productivity filters down to the hours expected in the workplace and often in how Christians approach serving God. And it's here that God gives us a reality check. In the end, all the time you spent being busy, all the work you accomplished gives you 
nothing. Without God, you ultimately gain nothing from a lifetime of toil. This truth needs to reach down to the deepest depths of your heart and thinking about life. Because if you don't, there will come a day when you realize your whole life was wasted on meaningless and futile pursuits and it's too late to redeem it. Now to help people, to help us really take this truth to heart, the preacher in this passage elaborates on the futility of toil without God in three points. And I want us to really reflect on this. Three points. Life is a tiring cycle of work that never satisfies. History is a cycle of hopes failed. You will be forgotten in the cycle of history. So let's start with the first point. Life is a tiring, unsatisfying cycle of work. I'm going to take a look at verses 4 to 7. Verses 4 to 7 uses things that can be observed about the physical world as illustrations to lead people to reflect on what toil is like without God. And these illustrations are, are poetic. Uh, they are given to help us understand a point by thinking about the pictures in nature. Uh, these illustrations are not given to teach about nature in, in the world. So if you find yourself questioning how accurate these things are when it comes to exact science, then, then you're missing the point. It's, it's poetic. It's about the images. And that's the message that is to be found there. So I'm going to help us think about uh, what, what we're supposed to get from these pictures. Uh, the first illustration is the constant cycle of older generations of people on earth being replaced by newer generations. The second is how the sun, from our viewpoint looking up to the sun on earth, appears to be an endless cycle of going up and coming down, only to go back up the next day and, and come down. The third is how people experience the wind. One minute it blows one way, the next moment it blows the other way. At first, the wind seems to be quite free, but it's really stuck in a cycle of blowing this way and that way and this way and that way, almost as if it's stuck on a set path. And the final illustration is of water. Water uh, from rivers and streams continuously flowing to the ocean and no matter how much water flows in, it makes no observable difference to the ocean itself. The ocean doesn't get any more fuller from all the water that goes into it. And, and these illustrations are to help us think about some, some key concepts. At first, we see that the natural world is a very busy place. Uh, year after year, people die and leave the earth while new people arrive to live out their hurried and short lives on that same earth. Uh, every day, the sun keeps going around and around and around and around in circles. Uh, every minute, the wind blows this way and that way, this way and that way, this way and that way. Uh, each second, water continuously flows into the ocean from different sources. Right? The world is a busy place. Uh, the second point is that for, for all the work that goes on in the world, in the natural world, nothing really gets done. Nothing ultimately changes. Uh, the world is busy but it's busy doing the same thing in circles again and again and again. And this biz picture of busyness in the natural world 
reflects what a life of toil without God is like. No matter how busy you are, the work that you do is never enough and it never, ever ends. We're, we're caught in an endless cycle of toil that leaves us tired and weary. And no, no matter how many times you wash the dishes, they somehow appear again. You can be sure there'll be more dishes for you to wash in the coming future. No matter how many times you calculate the finances to pay the bills, you'll be doing it again very soon. No matter how many patients or clients you see, another one comes knocking at your door. No matter how many applications you process, you can be sure there'll be more piled up on your desk. No matter how many tests you mark, there'll be another stack waiting for you. Your work on earth is as certain and repetitive as the sun going up and coming down. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, no matter how many days off or breaks you get from your toil, sooner or later, the reality is you'll be caught up in another cycle of work. No matter how much work you complete, no matter how many cycles you go through, you are left feeling unsatisfied. Whatever you gain from your toil is never enough. Uh, verse 8 summarizes it like this. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot enter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Life is a tiring, unsatisfying cycle of work. And this brings us to the second point about our life as humans. History is a cycle of hopes failed. We're just continuing on in our passage, verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. The cycle of each person's life of toil is, is part of this larger collective cycle of, of human history. And in the bigger scheme of things, the work that you do on earth ultimately does nothing to make a lasting difference. All the work you've done and will do is something that someone else has done and will do again in the future. In other words, reality check. You are easily and quickly replaced. Your work, what you do is easily and quickly replaced. After you teach your last class, after you finish your final audit, after you complete your final design, offer your last words of counsel, someone else will be there to pick up right where you left off. Now, even if the work that we do in our lifetime doesn't amount to much, uh, we would hope that at the very least, it would contribute something beneficial in the bigger picture of things. You know, hopefully, our work does something to help humanity progress and advance to a better place. And the answer is that it doesn't. There is nothing new under the sun. 
And, and the verse 10 anticipates this objection because, you know, we want to be doing something meaningful. And verse 10 says this, Is there a thing of which is said, See, this is new. It has already been done in the ages before us. See, when we, when we first think about things, you know, it's very clear that humanity, that human civilization has, has progressed. Our knowledge about the world and universe is constantly growing. We have a history of inventions and discoveries that have brought about new and exciting changes to how we live. We've gone from horse-drawn carriage uh, to car to electric car and soon automated cars. Uh, we've gone from the iPod to the iPhone 1 through 14. Each new thing we learn about the world, each new discovery we make offers a hopeful promise that it will solve humanity's underlying problems. And these new things do change things for the world. But sooner or later, new discoveries and the changes to life that come from them become old. You know, life connected to the internet is pretty normal living in 2022. It's definitely changed how we live, interact, and do things. What it hasn't done is free humanity from our endless, tiresome, unsatisfying cycle of toil. Uh, you can work from home, you can work remotely, but you're still working. Uh, for some of us, uh, maybe not for money, but for something else that you want to gain. You know, the next supposed new thing is the metaverse. All right, the metaverse. If you don't know what the metaverse is, Google it. All right? Uh, if it takes off, it's going to change things. Uh, maybe this next generation of kids will attend school or go to field trips with VR headsets. Uh, no, Hong Kong property in real life is unaffordable, but right now you can make a real estate investment into the Hong Kong metaverse that might pay off in the future for your great-grandkids. You can have your own building in the virtual mid-levels of Hong Kong. Whatever, whatever other promising new things that will come out in the future will quickly become old. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing that will be discovered in the course of human history that is definitively and ultimately new. There is nothing new that will give humanity the lasting satisfaction and rest from the toil that we exert to live life. There is nothing new that can stop the continuous cycle of repetition and replacement we see and experience. There is nothing new that will result in humanity gaining something after their existence on earth ends. Human history is unable to produce anything new. Your life as a part of this history is unable to produce anything new. History is a cycle of hopes failed. A, a cycle of promising discoveries that turn out not to be all that they hoped for. Now, 20 years ago, the internet promised to do a lot of good things for the world. 20 years later, it's very controversial if the internet is causing more harm than good. The final point from this passage is that you will be forgotten in the cycles of life and history. There is no remembrance of former things 
nor will, be, will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Oh, what a person seeks to gain from life, it, it will change as you grow older. In the younger years, the focus tends to be on pleasure, money, and freedom. Uh, perhaps a little later on, the focus changes to stability, security, meaning, power. In the later years, the focus often changes to legacy, leaving something behind, leaving your mark for the world to remember you by. And here, God's word tells us there is no remembrance of former things. Working to leave a legacy is futile. Who, who you were and all the toil that you did will eventually be forgotten by the generations of people that come after you. Uh, some of you know that I was a history major. I spent a lot of time reading about various people uh, who did important things in history um, and what they actually did in their part of the world and in, in their time in the world. So I, as I was thinking about this, out of all the people in history I studied, I probably only retain memory of like a handful. And out of these handful of people, uh, I had to think about who made enough of an impact on history so that EEC would know who they were. So the first person that I thought of was, was this guy. Who knows this guy? Yeah, Confucius. Okay. Basic Chinese history, you guys pass. <laughs> all right. So you guys know his name? So hands up if you know his name, if you knew his name. Hands up, hands up. All right. Now keep your hands up if you know what Confucius was famous for. All right. Keep your hands up if you can briefly describe what impact he had on the development of China. Yes, Uncle David, thank you. I'm surprised, everyone, come on. All right, keep your hands up if you know what Confucius valued most in life. If you know the people that were most important to him. If you know what his personality was like. If you knew who he loved the most. See, Confucius was a pretty big figure for East Asian history. I, I expect people living in Hong Kong would at least know his name. Uh, it would probably be different if I asked the same question to a group of people in Northern Europe, or in South Africa, or in South America. See, people's names might be remembered and retained by some people, but no matter how famous they are, who they really were as a person is quickly forgotten and as time passes on, even their name is drowned out. Without God, you ultimately gain nothing from a lifetime of toil. You know, on a personal level, all the work we do doesn't bring us satisfaction, and it only makes us tired. In the bigger picture of things, your life isn't able to make a lasting difference to solve the world's problems. And in the end, who you are and what you did will be forgotten. This is the reality of living under the sun. This is the reality of living life on earth separated from God's presence. This is ultimately the consequence of choosing to live in sin and rebellion against God. Uh, Romans 8, 20 to 24 puts it like this. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. The creation was subjected to futility. It's the exact same words as Ecclesiastes 1-2. It's, it's vanity. It's, it's hevel. And the reason why the world was subject to futility was so that it could be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain freedom. That this passage in Romans 8 helps us to see what's going on in Ecclesiastes 1. It tells us that the world is one giant prison that has everyone enslaved to futility, to hevel. Uh, you're stuck in a cycle of minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, seasons, years that repeat themselves as you slave away at various forms of work until you're caught up in this bigger cycle of death and replacement as generations go and another comes only to repeat that same cycle again and again. And no matter where you go, whether you stay in Hong Kong or you go somewhere else, you're trapped in the same prison that's full of meaningless toil. This slavery to hevel, to fertility, is ultimately the result of sin. Uh, the, the passage here uses the word corruption. But it also tells us that God has a purpose for the futility experience in life. And that's that, that's that we would be freed from corruption to obtain the glory of the children of God. Now, God redeems humanity from a life of vanity by adopting them as his children. God sent his son Jesus to break humanity out of the cycle of death and replacement. Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life and died, but he didn't stop there. Jesus did what no one else could do. He broke out of the cycle. He broke out. He resurrected from the dead. And by his resurrection, he promises to make all things new. He will come to make a new heavens and a new earth. He offers to give people a new life through the forgiveness of sin. If anyone is new in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. This is good news for all of us here this morning. See, your day-to-day -day experience of repetitive, meaningless work is meant to point you to seek the God who can free you from the cycle. The dissatisfaction that you currently face in life is a sign of your sin against God and your need to be made right with him. So I want you to think, where will you turn to when you realize you're not getting from life what you had expected, when you're facing your quarter life crisis, your midlife crisis, or whatever crisis you're facing, will you turn your heart to seek God or will you look somewhere else? If you are not a Christian this morning, only Jesus can free you from your meaningless toil by reconciling you to relationship with God. If you are a Christian, the burdensome labor and dissatisfaction you experience right now is meant to point your heart back to your true purpose. Your time on earth as a heavenly exile is knowing God. See, more often than not, Christians live godless lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. 
But more often than not, Christians live godless lives. Uh, godless doesn't mean that you are you know, currently committing horrible crimes or sins. Uh, godless means living life without any thought or care for God. It means being so busy with everything that you live like God doesn't exist. Uh, you wake up, you go to work, pick up the kids, put them to bed, put in some late night hours for work, sleep, and that whole time, you don't think once that you need God in the midst of it all. That is being godless. So you see, the point here isn't about doing less work. Uh, the, the point isn't necessarily about making time for personal devotions. The point is your heart. See, it's true in a city like Hong Kong, there is some work where you have no choice but to put in long hours to make a living. That's true. But it is also true that many times our hearts are so busy trying to grasp all of the hevel and vapor in life that you intentionally make yourself more busy and tired than you need to be. Work in all forms becomes an idol for finding meaning and satisfaction, the only relationship with God can give. And it's here that all of us need to repent for our busy hearts that seek to find satisfaction and rest from what you do instead of in Jesus. Look to him and realize that this life isn't it. It isn't the destination. You are eagerly waiting to be home with God as his adopted son or daughter. You have a new life in Christ. You have relationship with God. He redeems your toil on earth to grow your trust and love for him so that at the end of it all, you come out having the greatest gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't give that up for a life of busyness. Don't give anything up for your relationship with God because at the very end of it all, he's all that you will have. He's all that you've got. And whatever you need to do right here and now to know God and love him, do it. Don't wait. Don't continue this cycle any longer. He's freed you from it. You are free. We're going to spend some time in prayer and reflection. Let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you this morning. Would you search us and know us? See if there is any way within us that is wrong and lead us into the way everlasting. Lord, m m so many of us are, are so tired, so weary that we don't realize how, how tired we really are, how overworked we are, how spiritually stretched we are. And you offer us good news. You offer us rest. You offer us life with you, even in this world of futility. Lord Jesus, would you turn our hearts to receive who you are, what you've done for us, 
would you turn us, Lord, to experience the true freedom that we have in you, freedom from this cycle of toil? Would each person here this morning experience your life in a new way through the power of the gospel, through the power of the cross? In your name we pray, amen.